continuing our study here through the book of Exodus. We finished up chapter 15 last week. We did a couple different teachings on that. First part of it was the praise of them parting the Red Sea and the amazing miracle of God. The second half of chapter 15 is about them all complaining. All of them complaining. So therefore, I encourage you to get a copy from last week because it talks about the sin of complaining. Now, a lot of us don't want to listen to that. But as we mentioned last week, God puts complaining on the same level of sexual morality. Because complaining, if you remember our points from last week, complaining basically says, God, I don't trust you. God, I don't like your plan for my life. And God, I think you should be doing this. That's what complaining basically is. God is good and does good, and do we trust that? So last week they were complaining about the water. The Lord gives them the blessing of water. Guess what happens here in Exodus 16? They start complaining again. Verse 1, And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now we got to see a lot of points there. First one, they traveled from Elam. Elam was an oasis. It means palms. It was a good area. It was a nice area. Now they traveled to the area of Sin. Now, it doesn't mean sin like we think of sin. It means thorns. It means clay. It was a wilderness area. It wasn't nice. It would have been much nicer to stay in the area of palms. There's no doubt about that. So they come to this area, and what do they do in verse 2? Complaint. Now, I don't want to repeat all of last week's. They complain about food. They complain about water. They complain about everything. They complain about leadership. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 that they were given to us as an example of what not to do. And you're going to see this ongoing theme, because guess what happens in Exodus 17? They complain again. They complain so much that eventually God says, I'm not even letting this group into the promised land, and you're going to wander for nearly 40 years until you all die out. That's God's way of dealing with complaining. So just remember the next time you start complaining or your kids start complaining, go wander for 40 years, you know? That's God's way of trying to teach them a lesson. And look how the mind plays tricks on them. Verse 3. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, and we sat by the pots of meat, and we ate bread to the full. Oh, you remember when we were slaves? That was the best. You remember when that one guy used to beat us all the time? Oh, I miss that. Remember when we used to make bricks, but then they took the straw away, but we still had to make the same amount of bricks, and then we had to go out and collect our own straw, and if we didn't collect enough bricks, they would beat us? Oh, those were the good old days. Isn't it fascinating what our mind wanders to? Go with me to to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11. And it's not just about this. It's that proverbial grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. If you're married, you want to be single because that would fix all of your problems. And if you're single, you want to be married because that will fix all of your problems. If you only had a different job, a different house, a different car, a different spouse. Sounds like Dr. Seuss. But if you just had that type of stuff, it would be different. Numbers chapter 11. Guess what's happening in verse 1? The people are complaining. God sends fire, 
burn some of them. That's a good way to stop complaining. Please remember our point from last week in verse 1. The people that were burned up were on the outskirts of the camp. That's a spiritual picture. They weren't near the tabernacle. They weren't close to the Lord in a relationship. So as they're complaining, the fire comes. Now, jump ahead to verse 4. Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. They used to eat fish freely in Egypt. They make it sound like they had this buffet every day. Verse 6, But now our whole being is dried up, and there's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and it's color like the color of bedlam. The people went about and gathered it and ground it on millstones or beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell in the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. Now keep that in the back of your mind. If you want to, keep your hand in Numbers 11, because we're going to keep coming back to this. They're hungry. They're going to die. And God decides to give them manna. Exodus 16, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, and I will test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Verse 8, and also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. So manna. Manna, if you're a note taker, you know what manna means? Manna means what is it? That's literally what it means. They came out in the morning, and they saw manna on the ground. So they said, what is it? Which means manna. That's why it's called manna. So manna is called bread from heaven. Other, other places in the Bible, it's called spiritual food. Now, I'm going to break this down to three different categories. If you're a note taker, the first part we're going to talk about is the practical of what manna is. Then we're going to talk about how manna represents faith and then what manna is a picture of. Let's talk about the practical first. They would have to gather this daily. Every morning they would have to go out and gather this. And before the Sabbath, verse 5, they would have to gather twice as much. So that means before the Sabbath came, they would have to gather twice as much because there would be no manna on the Sabbath because it was supposed to be a day of rest. They went and did this. Jump ahead to verse 35. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to to an inhabited land. They ate manna and they came to the border of the land of Canaan for 40 years. They would go out and gather every morning enough for them to get through the day and twice as much on Sabbath. Now, they had to gather it in the morning because if you look at verse 21, they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. So if you wanted to sleep in, you didn't get your manna. You had to get up. You had to get going. The heat of the day would melt it. Gathered it daily, twice before the Sabbath, They did this for 40 years, and it's gone by the heat of the day, verse 21, and it means, what is it? Now, what is it? Now, we know according to verse 31, it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. It was a sweet taste. And if you remember what we just read back in Numbers chapter 11, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, is they said it tasted like a what? Do you remember? A 
pastry. It was like donuts every day out there on the grass. Go out and gather donuts. And they complained. Can you imagine every day waking up, there's just donuts on your front yard, and God himself tells you, hey, collect enough donuts to get through the day. And then he would actually tell you, gather enough donuts to get through two days. They could do what they want with this manna. According to Numbers 11, they could beat it down to a grain and they could cook with it. They could make cakes with it. They put oil with it. It was like this all-encompassing thing. And what was it? That's the whole point of manna. What was it? It's a spiritual food that God gave them called the bread of heaven for 40 years. Every morning when they woke up, it was there for them. Every morning. Now, that's the practical side of manna. The faith side of it. It's fascinating. In Exodus 16, it starts. Does anybody know when the manna ended? Anybody want to take a shot at that? The manna ended the day they arrived where? In the promised land. Joshua 5, verse 12. The Bible even goes one step further. As soon as they ate food from the promised land, the manna stopped. So just as it miraculously started, it miraculously ends. God says, you're now in the promised land. You no longer need this substance, and it's just done. Now, here's where we have to start making some spiritual points about this. God knows your needs. He knows your needs. So when you need manna, when you need bread from heaven... God's provision, he will miraculously make it appear. And guess what? When that need is over, he will miraculously make it disappear. That's what the Lord does. And God can use manna in any way he wants just to get you through. I've shared with you before when Dawn and I first got married that we didn't have a lot of money and we lived off of not much, but we wanted to start this Bible study in our house. And we would start this Bible study up in our apartment. And, it, and the Lord just kept blessing it. And it kept growing to the point where we had like 30-some people coming. Now, we had nothing. Now, these are like 30 late teens, early 20s. Do you realize how much food those people eat? We got five boys. I don't know what we're going to do if Jesus waits by the time they're teenagers. My grandpa, my grandpa Kiefer, would just randomly come up to me. And just fold up some money and stick it in my pocket. And he would just say, you're a missionary in McClure. That was manna. God knew my needs. He took care of it. And when the Bible study was done, <laughs> the manna stopped. <laughs> uh, we're no longer a missionary in McClure, I guess. But you can all give a testimony of just the Lord providing manna for you at some time in your life. And just saying, he takes care of it. I mean, think back. It, it's really a misnomer. I hate the term, that prayer, the Lord's Prayer. But there's that phrase in it that says, give us this day our daily bread. How many of us spend hours and tears and worry and fear about something that's going to happen weeks, months, years in the future? God says daily bread. Manna, you're just going to have to trust me. It's going to be there tomorrow. You're just going to have to trust me that it's going to be there the next day. And why is he doing this? Jump back to verse 4. And people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. This is a test. Are you going to have faith? Are you going to have faith to only gather what you need 
Because if you try to gather more, guess what happens? Jump ahead to verse 19. Moses said, let none of you leave any of it till morning. Don't keep it in your house. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Now, come on, we're dealing with millions of people. Had to be that one person that said, I'm sick and tired of getting up every morning to gather manna. You know what? I'm just going to gather some extra. I'll just keep it in the cupboard. I'll throw a little cloth over it, and the next morning I'll sleep in. Goes, wakes up. What is that smell? Overnight, dare we say miraculously, the manna has bred worms, and it stinks. Guess what that guy eats that next day? Nothing. Okay, well, what about them keeping it for the next day? Well, what has happened here? Remember they said, verse 25, Moses said, eat that today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. They were told clearly, clearly, the day before, gather twice as much as what you need. It's a moment of faith again. Now think about all this faith stuff. Every day I have to have faith that it's there. Every day I have to have faith when I get up in the morning, my food supply is going to miraculously appear. I have to have faith that if I gather twice as much on the Sabbath, that's going to be still be good. Because I already know for a fact if I gather some and keep it overnight, it starts breeding worms. So there's this weird miracle of it breeds worms if I keep it overnight, but then there's this weird miracle that it doesn't breed worms if I keep it overnight at the Sabbath. Yeah, that's faith. Do you realize the things that God will ask you to do sometimes? It's crazy. It makes absolutely no sense sometimes what the Lord asks you to do. But we want this, this picture of Christianity to fit this little pattern. And God absolutely has no pattern. Other than Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. Man, he does a lot of strange things sometimes. Hey, I got to teach this guy Jonah a lesson. What should I do? I got an idea. How about a big fish swallows him for three days? That's a good way to teach him a lesson. Hey, this guy Balaam is kind of causing me problems. What should I do? Oh, I got an idea. I'll just have his donkey talk to him. That sounds like a good idea, right? You know, oh, these people are being a bit rebellious. What should I do? I'm just going to make them turn into lepers for just a brief moment just to get their attention. I, I don't know why, but I've been using this example a lot here lately. When they came and asked Jesus about the temple tax. Jesus' great way to teach a point about the temple tax. Hey, go catch a fish and there's going to be a coin in the fish. And take the coin out of the fish and then go pay the temple tax. Now, Jesus could have done what the old man magic trick is. Hey, Peter, come here. Oh, you got something behind your ear. Look. No, go catch a fish and pull a coin out of the fish. That's what he wanted to do. So, in faith, sometimes he asks you to do something that is just completely out there. And he's saying, will you obey me? Oh, yeah, but Lord, this is crazy. I know it's crazy. Do you believe me? Because go back to verse 4. This is a test. Are you going to trust me that every morning will be there so you don't gather more? Are you going to trust me that on certain days it's not going to be there so you have to gather more? This is a test. And guess what happens when you pass the test? You're blessed. Guess what happens when you don't pass the test? Verse 28, And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and laws? 
For see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in their place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. God says rest. On a side note, just a side note about the Sabbath. I heard a great teaching recently I want to share with you. And the guy was talking about how many days off the typical Jewish man got. Man, I wish I was Jewish. Because back during Bible times, they had the three feasts that they had to go to Jerusalem. It was required. They got every at least one day a week off. You know how many people working a job? I, I ran into some of this the other day that worked seven days a week, 12 hours a day. How would you like if God of the universe said, I'm making you take one day off? You have to. And then I'm going to also make you three times a year go to Jerusalem. And then we're going to fill in with all these other feasts and parties and days throughout the year. And how many times in the Bible, if you want to do a deeper study, just look up the word holy convocation. For God says, nobody works today. The Jews had more federal holidays than we do. And God said, I want you to rest. It's amazing how much God tells us to rest, but yet we're too busy to listen to that. That's just a little side note there. So, practical stuff we talked about. We talked about how it's a picture of faith. We got one more to talk about how it's a picture of Jesus. But does anybody have any quick questions, comments about manna? Yeah, Ryan. It is. Uh, I think there's three ways it's described in the Bible. It's called um, spiritual food. It's called uh, bread of heaven. And in one reference, it's called angel something. And I can't remember what it is. But there's another reference, and I believe that's in Psalms, where it talks about there was some type of the food of the angels type thing because it was this miraculous food that just appeared every morning. Well, you know, I was just here at a teaching on the way into church today about angels eating. And how many references there are in the Bible to angels eating. And the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize it's going to be good food up in heaven. I really do believe that. So I'm looking forward to that. So, yeah. I mean, angels ate. The Bible says that when the angels came down here on earth in the form of the man, they're eating. They're eating. Anybody else have anything here about manna before we go on? Rose. Uh, not about manna, but being, uh, uh, the seven years. Yeah. Yeah, take a year off. Yeah. Take a year off. <laughs> That's a faith thing, too. Farmers, every seventh year, don't plant anything. Trust that there's going to be enough food that just comes up naturally to feed you. And then there's also going to be enough leftover for seed for the next year. And as we know from studying out the Bible, there's not one recorded reference to the Jews ever taking the Sabbath year off. And that's why they owed God 70 years, and that's why they had to go to Babylon. Because it was too much faith. Too much faith. I mean, just think about that. We still run into this today. You know, faith. You know, I got bills. My bills are tight, and you're telling me in faith to, to tithe? You know, um, I'm struggling right now in this marriage, in this relationship, and faith, you're telling me just to love my spouse unconditionally? You know, Lord, I, I'm trying to serve this invisible God, and you're telling me in faith just to believe you're out there? Everything we do is based on faith. So the whole manna thing... Faith. They had to live it every day for 40 years. Anybody else have anything about the practical parts of manna or the faith aspect of manna? Okay, now let's go to the picture of manna. Can you go with me to John 6, please? John 6. This manna was so important, as you're going to John 6, 
In Exodus 16, which we're reading here, Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot, put an omer of manna in it, and lay it up before the Lord to keep it for your generations. And so they kept this manna in the Ark of the Covenant there as a, a special thing to remember what this picture is of. So John chapter 6. John 6, let's go ahead and start in verse um, 26. Jesus answered them and said, John 6, verse 26, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Let's just stop right there. What was happening is Jesus was getting quite the following. Quite the following. You know, uh, he's feeding 5,000. He's feeding 4,000. Pretty soon there's a pretty good little comment going around. If you follow Jesus, you get a free meal. You know, and, and some of you are going to disagree with this, and that's fine. That's fine. I, I've been serving out here at church for 18 years, and I've been the, uh, I guess, the head pastor. And I'm in my 16th year. I have never seen one person get saved through us giving them food. I'm just going to throw that out there. Never seen it. I've seen people appreciative. I've seen people thankful. And I've sure seen people come back again and again and again. But I've never seen anybody actually hit their knees over time and say, it's because you gave me food that I came to know Christ. And I see this with Jesus. If this was a ministry that would have worked, Jesus would have just kept it going. I'm going to feed 5,000. I'm going to feed 4,000. I'm going to feed another 5,000. They're following him around looking for this free meal. And he says, hey guys, verse 26, you're following me because you hope to get fed. Verse 27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. He says, you really want food? I'll give you food that lasts forever. Verse 28, then they said to him, what shall we do then that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? See, our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Look how they're pushing the food. Give us a sign. Because you know, back in the wilderness, we got food from heaven on a daily basis. So, you know, if you want to do the whole loaf fish thing one more time, that would really help us believe what you're doing. Because if you're a God that can create cheeseburgers, then I can believe and follow you anywhere. So, God proved his faithfulness by giving manna. Guess what Jesus says in verse 32? Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. This manna that is a supernatural daily occurrence... That in faith they need to believe and trust will be there. In faith they need to believe and trust and follow the rules. Don't keep it overnight. Gather twice as much on the Sabbath. This supernatural manna that got him through the wilderness into the promised land. Jesus is basically saying here in John 6, Guys, I'm a bread like that. That I can meet your needs supernaturally. You in faith have to believe this. You have to trust this. You have to understand this. That I am that for you. See, that manna is really just an example of what 
obedience, and faith. A daily trust in the Lord. That He will meet your needs, He will supply your needs, He will take care of your needs. And when you no longer need that need met, just like in Joshua, when they reached the promised land, it stopped. God says, you don't need any manna for that anymore. You're good. You're okay. It's a faith thing. And it's amazing how much as Christians we struggle with faith. Where am I going to get this from? What am I going to do? This is all falling apart. Trust your manna is going to show up every morning and the Lord will get you through it and God will take care of it for you. Can you go with me real quick to Psalm 5, please? Psalm 5. Got one last point I want to make here. Anybody have any quick questions, comments here over the practical aspect of manna, the faith aspect of manna, and then the picture of manna of what it means and represents? Yes? Oh, when they measured it by omers, he. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's a good way to look at it. Is is God just meets the needs, and it says every man had gathered according to each one's need, and I believe. Yeah, I keep a new living in here. I like how the new living translation reads that. Because it's just a great picture of just the Lord providing. The new living says it this way. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Each family had just what it needed. And I tell you, Dawn and I, we look at our lives, and we look at what the Lord has done for us, and, you know, how He's blessed us, and with the kids and everything. And, and I firmly, I firmly believe without a shadow of a doubt, the reason the Lord has blessed us is because He is faithful to us, and we are faithful in saying from the day we got married, even before we got married, is, Lord, we just want to give to You. And, Lord, Lord, here is the tithe, here's that. We just want to give that to You, and just trust that You're going to move and work in that area, and, and, and offerings. Um, and God's faithful. He just, he's just constantly faithful. I can't preach enough on that. It's just the faithfulness of the Lord. So it's a great picture of just trusting God's going to meet your need. Anybody else have anything here before we do our final point? Now, I want to share just some. This is just me personally. That idea of how the Bible says that you had to get it before the heat of the day or the manna disappeared. Look here at Psalm 5, verse 3. I heard a pastor teach on this one time, and it really hit me. Psalm 5, verse 3. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Now, I don't want you to be legalistic on this. But I want you to be a little legalistic on this. How about that, okay? I firmly believe, the longer I walk with the Lord, the importance of starting your day out with Jesus. I mean, just because by the time the heat of the day reaches you, the day's lost. I don't know how many times in my life I've got up in the morning and I had to get going on the day. It's a busy day. And so I get up and I get going and I'm going to get this thing done. I got an early appointment. And once I get this done, I'll come back and I'll just, I'll just do that time with the Lord late morning, early afternoon. I don't. 
Now, this is me personally. I don't. I need to hit it in the morning before the heat of the day happens. And, and that's something I've really been doing is even if I had to get up early and i got to have an early appointment, just got to set the alarm a little bit earlier and make sure that there's that day of starting out. I've shared with you before, even before I get out of bed in the morning, I'm already giving the day over to the Lord. Lord, I'm just a vapor. What do you want me to do today? How can I serve you? And then the next thing I do is I go right to the Word. And, Lord, I'm going to spend this time with you. Because if I don't do it in the morning, for me personally, the heat of the day hits and it just melts away. So I used to do this with the boys. See, I overheard all these testimonies of all these people that said, Oh, the last thing we did before the kids went to bed is we sat down and we did devotions. So I'm going to do that as well. And it was awful. Oh, it was awful. It's the end of the day. They need to go to bed. I need to go to bed. So we still have something before we go to bed. We always have a time of prayer. And we also have a time where we do things for the Lord, obviously. But our time of being in the Word together as a family, we try to do it in the morning. I know some of your schedules may not allow that with kids or something along that type of line. But I'm just telling you this. Do what you can. Because just like the manna is gone by the heat of the day, I have just realized in my life personally, is by the time the heat of the day happens, it's gone. The moment's gone. I want to have that time with the Lord in the morning. And as this verse says, just one more time here, Psalm 5, verse 3, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Start the day off with that before the heat of the day gets yet. Trust me, God will bless you. There's no doubt about that. All right, you may have any final questions, comments here about anything. Brian. My translation says, gave them the bread of heaven there, uh, or the grain of heaven. But yeah, corn of heaven there, that's uh, Psalm 78, verses 24 and 25. Psalm 28, 78, verses 24 and 25. Thanks for the reference, man. Anybody else have anything here? Yeah, Renee. Yeah, Jesus is the great example of that. And I tell you, the, the verse that hits me more than any other verse with that. It's Mark 1, verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. I mean, what an example. Um, I'm actually working on a little devotional right now here for the church of all the references to Jesus just getting up early and praying. Now before you start thinking, well, that was easy for him. He was a man. I mean, he was, he's God. He's also a man. I mean, he got tired as well. You, you remember that story of where Jesus crossed the boat, and the Bible says that he fell asleep. And then the disciples had to go wake him up and say, Do you not care that we are perishing? You know, I've taught that so many times. I've always taught that, that that's that supernatural sleep of peace. God knew everything was fine. It was going to be okay. I heard a pastor say one time, he goes, Look at the context before that passage. If you look at the context before that passage, Jesus had been ministering nonstop. Non-stop. He goes, I think Jesus got in the boat, his head hit the pillow, and he just fell asleep. You know, you hear about those people, you know, you fall asleep before your head hit the pillow. You're so tired. Jesus was a man that had physical limitations as well of sleep. And I started thinking about that, and I thought, boy, was he just that tired? Because if you read the full passage, when they come to him and said, do you not care that we're perishing? They wake Jesus up. What does Jesus simply do? He just rebukes the storm and does what? It's over. 
See, I think that shows Jesus doesn't like being woke up in the middle of the night. There's no teaching. Guys, storm, done, be good, be quiet, go to bed, okay? You know, he's tired. He wants to go back to bed. He's a man. So getting up early in the morning. One last point about getting up early in the morning. I believe it was Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, Dawn read a book by Elizabeth Elliot. Great book. And she's a real woman of prayer. And she got up at like, she gets up at like 4 o'clock in the morning. And she's got this special chair, this special blanket, this special notebook pad. And she's just this prayer warrior. And somebody came up to her one time and said, I wish it was as easy as for me as it is for you to get up in the morning and pray like that. She looked at him and says, do you think it's easy? She goes, do you think that's easy? She goes, I just know the importance of it. So, I tell you, bless it. It will bless you. If that's the only thing you get out of tonight, start your morning off with the Lord. Sincerely, honestly, not legalistically, not a, God, I'm giving you my day today, and uh, thanks for everything. Keep me safe as I travel to work. No, Lord, this is your day today. I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave for you. What do you want me to do today? Forget my to-do list. How can I serve you today, Lord? And I want to give this day over to you in all ways. Man, just see what he's got in store for you. Anybody else got anything here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, good to be here this evening. And just uh, thank you for your safety just through the storms today and just working out the parking lot with all the flooding there. Um, Lord, it's you. It's all about you. You are the manna. Help us just to partake of you every day, to trust you every day, and walk in faith, Lord, to walk in faith. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Go before all things. And, and Lord, you know the schedule out here at church. There's so many studies, outreaches, stuff going on. It's all for you. It's all for you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Hey, you guys are dismissed. If anybody wants to pray, feel free to pop on up here, and we'll have a time of prayer.